There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and welcome to another edition of the Business Elevation Show on Voice America. Um, we're actually one of the most listened to shows on the network, um, accessed in over 30 countries every week. Uh, it's therefore just a thank you to those people who uh, continue to listen uh, throughout the world to the show. Now, today I'm going to introduce you uh, shortly to a guest called Jeff Bamber. I'm going to talk about executive health and fitness. But before I do that, I want to say a big thank you to my guest last week, uh, Prasad Prabhakaran from Holly Holland. We talked about lean uh, enterprises and lean thinking and uh, really enjoyed that conversation. It it really helped me understand how um, what I do really around elevating uh, businesses and people, how that fitted into that kind of model. And if you're interested in lean and interested in understanding how that works, um, I really recommend you go and have a listen to that show from the archive. So once again, thanks to Prasad Prabhakaran from Holly Holland. I also want to say a thank you to um, to Jane Handsome uh, and also Lizzie from Sponge Marketing. Jane is a um, a friend of the show, and she uh, very kindly introduced us through to uh, Jeff today. And, um, and I think um, Jane, um, being into very much into Ironman and triathlon, shares a real kind of uh, bond, I think, with um, with Jeff, who's uh, very much into that sort of thing himself. We're going to talk a little bit about that, but I wanted to sort of say that. You know, health, fitness, and happiness, they're really desirable goals, aren't they, for, for most of us? You know, if you, want to, um, if you want to sort of be the best that you can be and you want to bring the best into your work, it makes um, sense that you really take this very seriously. And I think what it's done is this, um, this need that we have to be um, fit and healthy, hopefully. Um, not everybody um, shares that or realizes how important that necessarily is until it's too late. Uh, but... It has really helped to evolve and develop the health and fitness industry. Um, it's also very regularly discussed, I think, today amongst uh, boardrooms. And it's rightly recognized that healthy, fit, and happy employees, they deliver a competitive edge when it comes to productivity, uh, to performance at work. It just makes so much sense. Now, Jeff Bamber quit his high-flying job as uh, in the hedge fund world uh, just a few months before um, Dig Me Fitness's first studio opened, and he took on the role of CEO. And his um, uh, he's been his background was he studied for a business MBA at Stanford University in California, which is pretty cool. Uh, but he had a passion as well for all things fitness, and he met his wife Kiefer Digme's founder at a spin class. He's completed eleven Ironman races. He's twice competed at the Ironman World Championships in Kona in Hawaii. Um, and uh, that's really where the name Digme came from, because the uh, World Championships in Kona, I believe, the start line is on Digme Beach, and that became, therefore, the inspiration behind the name. And it's a really uh, trailblazing business. This. We'll find out a, a, um, a little bit about it. Jeff's also represented GB at youth level in downhill skiing. So let's discuss how you know, busy executives can excel at their fitness goals. Um, also, in discussions about how we maybe break years of lackluster exercise habits uh, and why companies should really take this uh, to heart. But let's find out a bit about Jeff first. So a huge welcome to Jeff Bumber. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate the welcome. 
No, you're very, very welcome. And it's um, it's good to talk to you. I, I was just sort of chatting before the show started, and you live in one of my favourite places in the country, uh, Richmond. So, you know, t- how did you end up living in Richmond, and what attracted you to it? Because um, it's, it's a lovely place. It is a beautiful place. You know, it's a funny story, actually. We um, we were living in central London, my wife and I, Kiefer, and uh, Kiefer fell pregnant with our with our first child, um, Alex, in early 2013. And uh, she actually fell, we found out she was pregnant two weeks before she was due to race her second Ironman herself. We were both racing an Ironman in, in Mexico, and she found out um, that, that she'd fallen pregnant. So she had to feign an injury um, to come up with an acceptable excuse for pulling out of this race last minute. Um, and uh, we we were living in central London in a flat, in a, in, in a penthouse flat. Uh, so we had to go up um, either four flights of stairs or in an elevator. And uh, we thought, oh, we'll make it work for our first kid living in this flat. And we came home one day and uh, we found our neighbor completely frazzled, having spent four and a half hours in a broken elevator with a screaming baby and, and a load of shopping, um, which had subsequently gone off. Um, and we, this panicked us into thinking, gosh, we need to go and find a house elsewhere. So we went, uh, we went and started looking. We looked in Wimbledon um, because Kiefer had, had a lot of friends from her previous career who lived in Wimbledon and really liked it. But we couldn't find somewhere that worked for us because I was working in finance at the time. I needed to be at my desk by 7 o'clock in the morning and none of the uh, houses that we found worked from a compute perspective. So we started panicking again um, and looked around and came to Richmond. And neither of us particularly knew Richmond at the time, but we fell in love with it the first time we visited um, and uh, ended up buying a house here and moved in uh, on the the 11th of October. The, the, the last delivery vehicle left our house at 9 p.m. On, on Friday, the 11th of October, and Kiefer's waters broke at 2 a.m. on the 12th. Ah. Um, and uh, Alex was, was delivered the same day. So um, it all happened in a, in a dreadful rush, um, but uh, in, in all honesty, we haven't looked back. We absolutely love the local area. It's a beautiful community, a uh, beautiful part of the world. Obviously, we're right by the river in Richmond Park, and there's a, a huge uh, health and fitness community in Richmond, in southwest London in general, actually, um, because of the proximity to such wonderful places to exercise. Yes, I used to love when I I lived down in Ealing in West London. I used to love cycling down on the the towpath to Richmond and just sort of sitting there and uh, enjoying the view and watching the people. It was a very I had a very um, a grandmother I was very close to as well as a child. And I remember when I first moved to London, I brought her once or twice, and she just thought it was absolutely fantastic. It's um, a really stunning spot. So how have um, this interest in in health and, and health and sort of fitness, and obviously you've got this journey, both you and and Kiefer, to yes. Ironman, which is um, a significant endurance event. Was it, did this start very young in your life? Uh, no, um, I I've always been a sports person, but I was never an endurance sports person particularly. I um, I did run the fifteen hundred meters, but pretty badly at school, to be perfectly honest. Um, I was a team sports person. I played rugby. I played cricket, and as you mentioned um, early in the show, I, I used to ski at a national level. Um, but that was never really going to pay the bills because I wasn't quite good enough to go uh, to go professional. So, um, but you know, the passion for sport has been there from a very young age. I was I was a passionate sports person, albeit not particularly talented at any any, any given thing. I'd say, but. Um, I went to Stanford, as you mentioned, in 2004, and I met a chap called Rito Kryenbjorn, who's a Swiss fella, 
Um, and uh, he he come to Stanford and. Uh, part of the reason he wanted to come to Stanford was to take a break from his work so he could train um, to, for, for, for Ironman racing um, uh, more completely because it takes an awful lot of dedication and time to train for an Ironman race, as, you, as I'm sure you know. Um, and Rito, uh, went, whilst he was at Stanford, qualified for his first Ironman World Championships. And he had a drinks event when we were at Stanford uh, and invited a few of his close friends uh, from the business school along to this drinks event. So I started interrogating him about what on earth this Ironman business was all about. And I found it fascinating. I thought, yes, I'm going to go and enter one of those. So I did, along with another compatriot from Stanford. We both entered our first Ironman, um, which was going to be the um, Ironman UK in 2006. Unfortunately, my uh, other business school colleague had to pull out because he crashed his bike and broke his arm. But I ended up doing Ironman UK 2006, and that was the start of my journey. Um, and it was actually my first triathlon and my first open water swim um, in that race. I'd never done either before, and which is completely bonkers, to be perfectly honest. I, I would never recommend doing it that way. But um, uh, the swim was an ordeal to get through, and then the rest of it seemed like a piece of cake, really. But um, I mean, it was an incredibly long and hard day, of course. But you know, when when you panic in a swim, it's very difficult uh, to to cope. Um, but I fell in love with the sport that way, and since then, my heart's always been in Ironman, and I've not raced every single year um, since then. But I try to race relatively frequently. But it depends, of course, on injuries, sickness, family, and so on. Mm. So what's the distance of an Ironman versus a triathlon? Just for any people to, well, what's, what's the, how, how far are you actually going? Because it's pretty significant. That's right. So, you know, an Ironman is just a very long distance triathlon. So a triathlon covers all sorts of distance um, levels from super sprint triathlons, which are, you know, 250 meter sprint, uh, swim and a 10K bike and a 5K run or something like that, um, all the way up to Ironman and even... Uh, even longer, you'd even find longer events than, than Ironman. But an Ironman itself is 2.4 miles swim, 112 miles on the bike, and then 100. Uh, sorry, uh, then a marathon. Um, so it's cumulatively 140.3 miles um, covered in the day. Pretty, pretty significant. Quite, quite an achievement doing <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we, no, they're we, a long way. Were you very inspired about being in Stanford? I, I went to. I didn't, didn't never studied at Stanford, but I went to see a. I got invited to go and see an American football game there, and I, I expected, you know, as it happens over here, to see, you know, a few people standing around watching watching the game, and I was quite shocked to find there was in a crowd of forty two and a half thousand. It's um, amazing, isn't it? The, the stadium, <laughs> the stadium in Stanford is incredible. Um, yeah, I went to see several games when I was there, and you're right. I mean, it really does shock. Uh, shock you if you're uninitiated and seeing college sports but the amount of money in college sports um is is amazing uh, especially for for uh, top sports universities like stanford um, it was remarkable uh, but the sports facilities in general are incredible i remember when i was training for um for for my first ironman i had the luxury of a 50 meter saltwater pool right on campus about five minutes walk from my um from, from my uh residence which was just amazing um, and of course, the weather is is amazing in in the Bay Area. It's an absolutely beautiful place to go running and biking. So it is relatively easy to find the motivation uh, to you know if you if you're ever going to find the motivation, it, that's the right environment to do it in. You know, beautiful climate, a beautiful area, and lots of fit and healthy people around you to um, inspire you to get going. And what did, what did you learn about yourself do, doing these? 
extreme events that you do because it's not you know it's not everybody's you know so it's a leap leap too far for most people uh, yeah yeah <laughs> I, I, no I, I accept that and you learn you learn a lot about yourself when you're going through the the training and and the racing process of of an Ironman. Um, you know, I think when you're training for any event, whether it's short or long distance, you have to train extremely hard if you want to get to a good level. Um, but the thing about Ironman that is noteworthy for me, I suppose, is that I'm I'm not, you know, I'm sure. Um, it's all in the eye of the beholder, but I don't see myself as a gifted athlete, uh, particularly. Um, you know, in life, if you compete in sport, you start at primary school level and then secondary school level. And if you're good, you go to county level. And if you're good at county level, you go to national level. And if you're good at national level, you go to international level. And um, the further up the rung you go, the more people you run into who are just light years ahead of where you are. And um, Ironman's no different. And uh, but what I like about Ironman is that um, the results are very linear uh, with cardiovascular exercise more than most exercise. Um, the more you train, as long as you're training sensibly and you're managing your diet and your sleep and your stress levels and all of those good things, um, the more you train, the more you get out. The harder you train, the, the, the better your results. Now, of course, lots can go wrong on the day, but you can see linear progression in your training numbers if you're using uh, any data tracking technology, and that's really rewarding, um, and that's relevant for from our business today, dig me. But but um, it's a really rewarding aspect of long distance endurance sport that you don't really get um, with with lots of really short distance sports. Uh, you know, so I, I became in in an Ironman uh, context, relatively good for an age group or qualified for the Ironman World Championships. And of course, you get to the Ironman World Championships and everyone there is incredible. Um, so, uh, you know, again, you always you always get this you know, humbling experience of being exposed to people who are just far better than you are. Um, but unlike, let's say, uh, racket sports or something, some, some people just pick up a racket and are very good and other people pick up a racket and they, they can't hit a shuttlecock or a ball. Um, similarly with sprinting, some people are just really slow and other people are really fast um, and there's, there's a large amount of genetics that just feature in that and it's not always necessarily about how hard you train but with, with endurance sports, whilst there are, there are natural capabilities do come into it, you can really overcome them with, with uh, consistent uh, training and, and sensible training and that's really nice um, I, I found that enjoyable and rewarding seeing the seeing the weekly and monthly progression and ultimately culminating in you know an ability to qualify for what is deemed to be a really elite event uh, the, the Kona Ironman World Championships are, are non-trivial to qualify for um, but it's not because of you know a special natural gift I wouldn't say yeah, I was. Uh, I'm, I'm, I mentioned to I think to you that I'm training for this uh, a quadrathlon event uh, next year, which is uh, you know on the extreme spectrum for certainly for anything I've done before. And uh, I was talking to somebody who came third, and he said very much the same sort of thing. He said, you know, Chris, if you if you just train consistently for this and you train regularly, it'll be it'll be the best day, one of the best days of your life. Uh, if you don't, it'll be the worst. And I that's think right. uh, that's that's driven me on to train pretty much every day, and, and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Um, tell me, I've just got a couple of minutes before we go to commercial break. You know, you had this high-flying career as a in the hedge fund, and you you then went on and became CEO at uh, Digme. Uh, just um, just after this couple of minutes, just tell me a little bit about Digme uh, and what's what it what it is and why this concept is is really quite different. 
Sure. So um, Digme is a, uh, a series, a chain is an ugly, ugly word, but uh, a chain, if you will, of boutique fitness studios. And by boutique, we mean um, uh, footprints. So they're small fitness studios that we only do classes and we only do uh, a limited range of classes. But the classes that we do, we do really well. So we have um, basically two, uh, two fitness concepts at the moment. Uh, that's uh, spinning and high intensity interval training. Uh, hit training and that's our matrix concept uh, it's a pay-as-you-go model for the most part so you uh, pretty much just buy credits and book into classes each credit gets you a class and what consumers really like about it is the fact that they, they, they only pay for what they use they're not paying a monthly subscription to go to a gym whether they go there or not so it gets debited out of their account even if they're sick even if they're on summer holiday you only pay for the classes you attend uh, and that's that's a really nice um, facet of the business model. It also means that we have a have a duty to make sure that we do such a good job with our fitness classes that people want to come back week in, week out, day in, day out, throughout the year. Uh, because most people, as you probably know, Chris, they fall, they fall out of good habits by about March 16th. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's our duty to keep people coming back. And we do that through offering a really engaging concept or concepts. That sounds a really... A really great idea as well. I can imagine that with uh, the sort of packages that you offer, and I had a look at your your website. Um, you know, people could buy you those as you know birthday presents or kit together yeah. and you little blocks as as gifts, really. And you're right. The reason I, I stopped going to a, a regular big sort of corporate gym was that I realised um, when I worked it out, you know, we weren't quite using it enough to be worthwhile. Um, and I uh, felt a bit frustrated when we were on holiday and we couldn't use it and, you know, a lot of money had been drawn out of our bank accounts. That's right. Most people get to the end of the year and they look back at the number of times that they've been to the gym and probably the cost per visit in, in you know, in British pounds terms is, uh, you know, 50, 60 pounds a visit because, you know, they attend in a... You know, in a flurry of attendances between January and March, and then one thing leads to another. Um, typically, around about the Easter break, uh, they uh, they they go on holiday, or they take a break from exercise, or they get sick, or something, and then it becomes an uphill battle to get that good habit back. Um, so that's that's a challenge that most people face, and as a result of that, most gyms essentially rip customers off because they're charging them for a service that they're not providing. Um, they're providing access, but people aren't actually coming. I think. I think also you know, for for me, I love to run outside and I love to cycle outside. And actually, if, you, if you're if you're using a gym, you feel you need to because uh, you're paying for it, use it. And you're actually inside on a nice sunny day. It seems a shame, but that combination that you offer, um, you know, made an awful lot of sense to me when I when I looked at it. So we're going to go to commercial break now. After the break, um, we're going to really start to talk now about about company executive sort of attitudes towards health and fitness and uh, and start to have a look at uh, how we should really start to perceive this and maybe also think about individually but also you know as a leader you know do we owe a a duty to look after ourselves uh, and send that positive example to the rest of the company uh, and what's the benefit of doing it and disadvantage of not so do join us again in just a couple of minutes When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? 
Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called The Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Jeff Bamber, and we're talking about, uh, about executive health and fitness. And we had a great conversation about Jeff's Ironmans and uh, his world championships and um, he, how he ended up uh, moving to uh, be CEO of Digme and, um, and what, well, really what Digme was all about. Um, but I'm interested, uh, Jeff, you, you worked in the financial sector and you mentioned that you were at your desk for seven o'clock in the morning and yes. a short, but very long, hard days. And, uh, and I'm just wondering sort of on reflection and also maybe from what you've seen since as CEO of Digme, uh, how do you think people... Uh, you know, company executives and leaders of businesses really, um, you know, really consider health and fitness today. What do you think their attitudes towards it are? I'd say that in general, the the awareness around the need for companies and executives to be sensitive to employee well-being are, are, are improving. I think from what I see at the moment, there's still too much um, of just uh, treating treating this as uh, a um, a thorn in the side and something that they need to do just because they need to be seen to be writing uh, a, a a nice portion of their annual report about um, the pastoral care of their employees and looking after people, and not not necessarily enough yet actual proactivity. And taking this seriously, um, with respect to you know it, it being a business driver, it being something not just that's about uh, you know ticking a box and providing another report, but but actually something that can improve employee productivity, that can reduce company costs, 
um, that can improve employee satisfaction and motivation, make it a better place to work, uh, make it more collaborative, make it more ideas generative. All of these things happen when employees are um, well-fed, well-exercised, happy and motivated. And I think the thing with... um, now, employee well-being. And so often, it's just seen as, oh, we'll we'll have a consultant come round and look at someone's position sitting in a in a chair. Now, I'm not 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 to say that that's not important or, or dismiss it in any fashion. But um, changing someone's seating posture is unlikely to deal with their stress levels. It's unlikely to deal with whether they're obese um, or they're prone to heart, uh, cardiac arrest. Um, all of these things need to be taken seriously, and I don't, I don't yet see a sort of groundswell of awareness at the at a senior level um, to and, and motivation to really drive uh, a company cultures towards people being more more healthy. Um, I think that that that's got some way to go yet, uh, and that there's a big a big journey that that particularly large corporations need to go on um, before that's before that's anything like what I would say is acceptable. And is there very, you know, is there here a bit of an elephant in the room as, as, as well where, you know, maybe for legal reasons or what, what could be seen as perhaps, you know, being prejudicial or unkind to somebody, you know, if you have employees that are, who are, you know, struggling with, with obesity and coming in tired and you know, lacking in energy potentially, and I'm already, I'm already feel myself actually starting to feel I've got to be careful with my words here. Um, it, it's, a, it's, it's a difficult one to face because um, you know the reality is that if people, you know, do put energy and effort into into their well-being and into their, you know, cons- consider their weight and and exercise and effectively, there's a lot of benefits to actually doing that to to their families, to themselves. Mm. But it's such yeah. a sensitive subject to actually talk about, isn't it? You're absolutely right, Chris. Um, th- especially in today's culture, I feel there's um, there's there is a movement uh, and 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 a right a rightful movement towards people just accepting who they are. Not everyone can be, um, uh, you know, have a have a six pack and big bulging muscles. Some people are genetically predisposed to. To putting on a little bit of weight, um, they carry a little bit more weight around their tummy, and so on and so forth. There's not, then that's nothing to be ashamed of. I think you know the the, the bigger thing to address are um, systemic and habitual unhappy uh, ways of living and working, and that's what companies really need to address. Not you know not the pure aesthetic and not forcing people to have to look pretty and look good, um, but but making them aware that. Um, choices they're making with their diet, with their daily routines or activities, or sleep habits and so on are, are affecting um, their likelihood of a long and happy life. Uh, they're affecting the likelihood that they will get sick during the working week. Um, they're affecting their, their executive function, um, their, their actual brain power. I think people are smarter when they exercise because you open up the blood vessels and get the endorphins going. You release uh, chemicals in the brain that activate neurons and that's that's just science that's fact and these these employees would be more motivated more happy more energetic um were they adopting different practices um that's not to shame people 
for their body shape, um, their height, their weight, the, the way they look. That's absolutely not the goal. It's not about vanity. It's about healthy, long-term living. Yeah, and it, you know, that's, people work hard as well, don't they, to, to earn money for their, their potentially often their retirement. Um, some of us don't ever really want to retire, but that's a different, a different point. But actually, you know, it's it's very sad when people do retire and they retire with money and uh, you know, good a good potential retirement ahead of them. But then they find themselves with you know heart problems or um, yeah. other other issues which have been related to maybe not looking after themselves as well as they could have done. That's 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 absolutely right. And most of these. Uh, most of these things can be prevented with relatively small changes to, to daily habits. Um, I wrote a blog on this, as you're aware, um, a, a couple of years ago. But, you know, 150 minutes of exercise a week, which is 22 minutes a day, can make all the difference to your, um, to your long-run health. Uh, you know, 40% less likely to suffer from type 2 diabetes if you simply exercise 150 minutes a week. And that's, you know, that's three brisk walks around the park in in a week that's not beyond the wit of most people or the ability of most people to find the time it's really not um you're 50 percent less likely to catch a cold if you if you take 150 minutes of exercise a week i mean these are big differences to um to to, to your health and your well-being from a really small change um, and you will not just have less risk of sickness, but you'll also be more motivated, look better, feel healthier, um, have better self-esteem, and all of those good things as well. Uh, I think it's your, but, so it's your, your article as well, you, you, you think you mentioned it, was it you know, something like 167 million sick days, something like that? Else in the yeah, was it that's more than that yeah, the average the average employee has um, eight sick days a year, and it costs it costs UK corporates twenty nine billion pounds a year um, due to due to absenteeism uh, because of sickness, and most of that is preventable. That's just the sad thing about all of this. It's it's preventable with um, with relatively minor changes, um, you know, and, and wellness is often seen to be. Um, in the corporate world, it's seen the the corporates see what the corporates. Uh, what, the, the, what the corporates are doing. They see the, the, the daily habits of people in the office, but actually a lot of times it's stuff that they're doing um, outside of the office that makes a difference as well. Or, or indeed, um, it's not just about physically being in the office, it's about making the time to get out of the office and go for a run at lunchtime. Um, these issues are, are, are ones of productivity uh, they're not ones of they're not ones of time wasting. You know, some, sometimes it's a machoist culture around uh, being seen to flog yourself and not take lunch breaks, and not get out in the sunshine. But actually, you know, again, you know, vitamin D is going to help you feel better. Um, it's, it's going to help you be more productive in the afternoon. And then machoism doesn't really help uh, with with that. Um, and particularly in large companies and in, in, in professional companies, like consulting, banking, le- uh, legal companies, um, these kind of cultures are really, uh, really toxic. And you see a lot of people um, suffering in, in uh, midlife with mental health issues because they flog themselves to death and don't look after themselves in those years. Yeah. And, and therefore, is it, is a, if, if you find yourself in an organization like that, is it, uh, is, is it best to... You know, for your own um, health to book the trend and fight against that uh, that culture, which maybe keeps you inside and uh, mm. and make sure you get out and do something. 
That's a tricky out. one, isn't it? Because if you've got a if you've if you've got a judgmental boss um, who who doesn't buy into um, your your way of living, your way to manage your own stress levels and health levels, then uh, it could be a career limiting factor. But certainly, if I were a young employee, I'd be thinking strongly about asking questions around the, the culture of the working environment um, when, when I was going into role, when I'm thinking about uh, the kind of place that I want to go and work. Um, because you don't want to be surrounded by, by people who are going to peer down their nose at you um, if you do want to go for a, a half-hour jog at lunchtime to try and get some air in your lungs and de-stress. Um, you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot of research just to suggest that even really minor changes in, in your behavior. A, a good friend of mine, Leon Taylor, um, did a TED talk on this. You know, taking, just taking deep breaths during the day, um, staring at the sun, um, standing in a power pose for two or three minutes. All of these things can make a big difference to your mental well-being, but you don't want to be judged for them as, as, as an employee. And I think it's incumbent upon employers to grasp this. Culture in companies is led from the top. It's not, it's not led from the graduates. Um, you know, the graduates just feed off the culture that they're, that they're, uh, that they're brought into. The culture in these companies is led from the top. Um, I think it's really important that companies grasp this at an executive level, um, that the executives take ownership and responsibility for um, looking after themselves and demonstrating that they care about their health and wellness. Because ultimately, if they're doing it, the guys who are working for them are much more likely to do it too. There are lots of different ways to do that. Um, You can start going for a run at lunchtime yourself. You can run into work. You can run home from work. You can start riding your bike instead of taking the train. Uh, You can bring in a, uh, a freelance instructor to come and start taking gym classes in in your company, in a, you know, in a spare room, an office room, you don't need much equipment. Um, very frequently, we're asked to go and run exactly these kind of sessions in companies. Um, it doesn't take an awful lot of resource or thought. It just takes some, some level of it um, to, to start changing habits and cultures and working patterns. Yeah, and some, some companies as well, they, they double, double sponsorship, don't they, when people are doing uh, exercise-type, you know, endurance events or something for charity or, um, mm. you know, they, they'll companies sort of contribute one thing i've really found uh, one or two people have because i'm training pretty much every day now and mm-hmm. and people have said to me isn't that a bit you know it's not a bit boring a bit unsociable sort of going running and uh, but actually i've got some great friends i cycle with i've got uh, I, I go to a running club with uh, with my sons as well so i've met people through them twice mm-hmm. this morning at swimming i met had conversations with two people that i didn't know which were were really engaging so and my um cycling buddy so a couple of years ago we both decided at new year we were going to start cycling together um we've uh, we've, we've we've sort of stuck with doing that and he's five stone lighter now no way um, which is amazing um he's a, he's a completely different man uh, yeah. to, to to what he was before and it's uh, you know impacted him in many ways so it, it can be a really sociable thing to do and i imagine going to dig me as well with your friends that must be a very sociable um you know opportunity to get to know new people it is uh, the, the culture of digme is very much about helping people achieve whatever they want to achieve and sometimes one of the messages we struggle to get across as a company is that it's not about elitism it's not about being uh want to be an iron man or, or want to be 
professional rugby player or cyclist or whatever. It's actually just about the everyday person wanting to be a little bit better than they were yesterday. And that's very much the, the, the message, the, the culture, the nuance, the, um, the essence of our brand uh, is that we're, we're about assisting the masses and just helping them be a little bit better than they were before. We're an agent for change. That's what we are, is, a, is an agent for helping people improve. Um, and we'll, we just do whatever we can to, to, to do that. Um, that's why we try and make our classes engaging. That's why we provide data so that people have live, real-time feedback on how they're doing. One of the problems that we see when it comes to changing habits uh, is that aesthetic habits, of, uh, sorry, aesthetic um, changes are difficult to come by. They, they, they take a long time. And sometimes they might not be visible, even though you might be getting healthier, you might be getting fitter, you might not necessarily see it in the mirror. Sometimes the changes are there, but they just happen so slowly that you, you, you don't notice them. Um, and that's what often breaks habits. It often what breaks will of people to, to, to make those positive changes because they get six weeks into an in, a new exercise routine and they can't, um, they can't see the benefit or the benefits are slowly uh, coming, but they're not coming fast enough and they, they lose their motivation. And the great thing about data tracking and the evolution of technology is that that information on real-time improvement is, is much more visible much earlier in the journey. You come to a spin class and you get 500 spivvy points or you um, average 100 watts on the bike and you come back to your second or your third one and you see your numbers improve and it can be that quick your second or third class, you might see your numbers go up. And that can be really motivating because you might not have seen that in the mirror. You might not see that when you, when you um, pinch the fat around your tummy, but it's happening nonetheless. And that mm. real data anchor is, is definitely changing behaviors, definitely changing habits. And it's not just data for cycling. The people that do this kind of thing all the time now, how many people do you know now who count their steps every day? It happens all the time. This is just—it's data. Um, you know that that data just wasn't available to them before. I just can't can't go out without my Garmin on these days. I'm afraid it, uh, whether I'm in a business meeting or whatever, the, the nice yeah. the nice uh, tag watch gets left in the safe at home. And I, <laughs> I want to know how, you know how far I've been each day, and uh, it's it's amazing actually the data. Just uh, you know being able to see how far you've run or see how far you've cycled and look at the times, mm. look at the metrics. It's really engaging i think um and things like strava and uh, and i know the sort of systems you use it's um it really really does help you to to keep on go- keep on going i think um, absolutely you see that improvement so we're going to go to commercial break again now and, and after the break um, i'd like to sort of chat about you know your thought for any any people who are thinking about actually i need to start uh, training and let's also just have a, a little touch on this point too uh, you've got a very interesting i think very valid point around when people say just haven't got the time because um, i think that's a key issue for people it may not be the core issue but it's um a key issue and then you know a few tips on uh, for people who might be considering embarking on something maybe a little bit more extreme would be uh, really really challenging themselves so we'll be back again in just a couple of minutes America Business Network, the bottom line in business. 
Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the business elevation show with your host chris cooper if you have a question or comment about our show please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk that's chris at chriscooper.co.uk now back to chris cooper hi this is chris cooper i'm with jeff bamber from digme fitness and we're talking about kind of executive health and fitness and jeff so just imagine i'm um i'm working for a a hedge fund in London. I'm starting at seven o'clock in the morning, and um, I'm uh, I'm really busy, uh, and I don't really feel like I've got time to exercise uh, with all of that. What's your response to that? I'd say that your attitude's the problem, not your job or your life. Um, you, it's uh, it's a small sacrifice to make twenty minutes of your day uh, for. The, the longevity of your life ultimately and it, it's these um, small things that are very easy to shunt to the right um, to, to, to say oh that can just make way because I'm tired or I'm demotivated or I'm, or I'm too stressed or I just want to finish my spreadsheet at work and, and, and you compromise but you're compromising you're compromising your life you're compromising the longevity of, uh, of your life of your health of your family um, that's, and, and that's that's a really bad compromise. You shouldn't compromise on things like that. Um, so, you know, if you need to change one thing, you need to change your attitude to finding that time. And this is, uh, you know, I, I read recently and uh, really like the sort of chimp paradox. I don't know if you've read that, read that book. And, uh, and you know, in, in there, it's, there's a, it, it says that your chimp brain, in that bit of your brain that's, uh, uh, you know, continuously maybe nagging and sometimes uh, putting in, ideas and thoughts that might not necessarily be be helpful is actually five times stronger than your you know kind of human sort of more more logical brain um so in that sort of scenario you know you think you've got a spreadsheet there and you're sort of thinking well actually i need to kind of i could do with kind of finishing this and the the fitness goes out of the window um is it really is it really deep down that actually there's a chimp side of you saying actually don't be bothered with this you know (laughs) it's too much effort um yeah and that's kind of holding you back from really what you need to do, which is to to make that 
Because actually, because the thing is, here's a solution could well be the exercise. That's right. Uh, the solution could be the exercise. How many times have you heard someone say, uh, "Oh my God, I just you know I just had a run around the park and I'm, I feel like I'm completely refreshed. My my brain's clear and I can think more, much more clearly now." Uh, you know, everyone everyone feels this when they exercise. But stepping out the, the door is the hard bit. And the reason is, is what, it's like the old BCG matrix. You know, this, um, it, it, this gets bunted into that 22 minutes of exercise, a half-hour run that you want to do, it gets shoved into that not important, not urgent box. That's a misunderstanding. It may not be urgent, but it is highly important. It's highly important for your productivity. It's highly important for your health. And you just need to understand that. You need to recognize that. Whilst it may not be burning the urgent, there's not there's not a deadline for that exercise. It is important for your well-being. It is important for your stress levels. It's important um, to to manage your weight. Uh, it's important to make sure that you sleep better. Um, it's very very important. So just don't make that mistake of thinking a half hour run is is a nice to have because it's not. This I found really helpful. I had a really busy spell last year, uh, and I, I was sort of going out quite early and um and had a fair bit on i i found really helpful i got it and i was often sometimes in hotels as well i found uh, just a seven minute app and mm. uh, it was like 10 or 12 exercises in seven minutes but actually yes. even even just that that was really helpful yeah i uh, no, I, I completely agree um it doesn't it doesn't need to be long and flashy to to, to make a difference um and you're right there are all sorts of apps out there runtastic is one of them i mean there, there, there's Loads of them that provide short workouts um, that you can do in, you know, in your underwear in your living room if you want. Um, I was traveling to India a few years ago on work, and Kiefer and I were there. We we were going to a conference in Delhi, and uh, we were then going to take a take a road trip um, around uh, around one of the, the, the local parks and. Um, we were in a hotel in, in India, and the roads nearby were completely impassable on foot. Um, they, were, they were so dangerous that we didn't step outside of our hotel um, to go for a run, which is what we ordinarily would have done. So we ended up just making up a, a set of circuits to do in our, in our hotel room because we both go a bit crazy when we don't exercise. And we knew for our own benefit that we had to do something. So we ended up just leaping about in our, in our hotel room for half an hour to get a sweat on. But you feel so much more invigorated, alive, and, and, and energetic, and ready for the day when you do that kind of thing. Um, yeah. And that's you're making that time is really important because the rest of the time in the day will be better because of it. Yeah, yeah, makes makes a lot. Of sense. So I've got I've got the motive. So we've got the motivation then to uh, to do something. Um, you so we we can do sort of seven minute apps. We're, we've we've um, if, if we're shortening a time, but we, the important thing is to get moving, isn't it? To, to, it is. how would you recommend people really start to sort of embark on, on, you know, starting a, starting a plan or and making it stick? Any thoughts for, for something more serious or just something more sustained? So you, you I think, to I take think on sustained a, and then, then we'll talk yeah. about serious in a, a second as well. I think, I guess that I would, the, my starting point would be say, what, what part of my day do I enjoy least and how can I turn that into exercise? Um, so, uh, you know, lots of people, I, I used to quite enjoy my morning commute because I'd be able to sit on the train and clear out my inbox. I'd, I'd, my mornings I wouldn't compromise. I hated my evening commute, so I had to take the train because uh, the train was uh, sweaty and it was packed 
Uh, it was quite often you wouldn't get on the first one. Often they'd be delayed. Um, and it's the end of the day. No one's in a good mood. And you look around, everyone's a bit miserable. So um, I, I used to just turn my my evening commute into into my uh, into one of my workouts, and I did that three or four times a week. Um, so quite often I, would, I was working in Mayfair and I would uh, run back to Richmond and it was about an hour and 10 minute run. I would do that two, three, four times a week sometimes. Um, so just try and make, make the, the unenjoyable parts of your day more enjoyable, more interesting. Or, you know, so it feels like less of a compromise. Uh, and you feel like you get, you've, you've got home and you've done something really useful. Um, find a way to keep yourself engaged. And a lot of people struggle with uh, we, we, particularly with cardio exercise, and they, they you know, you, you, you said earlier, oh gosh, isn't that boring? If people give, have that perception of going out for a run and just being on your lonesome. If you really do feel that, most people I know don't, but if you really do, there are all manner of ways to keep it more engaging. So you can listen to music, you can um, download uh, download podcasts you might want to listen to. Um, going on going on your run um, you can download apps like Strava just to motivate you and keep track of your progress so that you you've got a personal best that you can go and try and beat next time um, really small things can make big differences uh, to motivation so uh, you know I think just find the thing that works for you um, don't flog yourself doing something that you really don't enjoy um, if you don't enjoy it you're not likely to stick at it uh, you know, people always ask me, you know, what's the, what's the best kind of exercise? The best kind of exercise is the kind of exercise you can do day in, day out without, without thinking of it as a chore. Um, you know, that, that can be, that can be anything. Um, everyone, everyone's buttons are different. Some people get really engaged by Zumba. Some people really get engaged by, by cycling, some spin, spinning or, or going for a run around the park. But the thing, the thing that's critical is that you enjoy the journey. If you enjoy the journey, you're so much more likely to stick at it. And that might be, there might be a discovery process for you with, with that. It might take a little while to find the thing that works for you. But stick at it. Keep, keep trying. Keep experimenting until you find that thing um, that, that you stick at. Uh, everyone is different. And, you know, what works for me won't work for the next person. The key is that you find it. So just so again, only got a few minutes till close. So I just want to just very quickly ask you because I want to find out a little bit more about your future plans at Digme. But uh, a couple of tips for anybody um, doing extreme events for the first time. I've got this extreme event. I've done marathons before, but nothing yeah. quite like I'm doing next year. Any 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 t- quick tips for people? I'd say give yourself enough time to prepare. Um, so make, you know, there's nothing wrong, and I'm a big advocate of having really big, outlandish, outrageous goals. Have an outrageous goal shoot for the moon go for it but just allow yourself enough time to get there and if the goalposts change if you get an injury you get you, know, you get a sickness that means you can't train shift the goalposts it's not a failure just to admit that you're not going to be ready for that very that that, that one day so if you you know if you're training for the london marathon and you have to it, um, something goes wrong you get an injury you get uh, you, you're off work for a month sick because uh, you know you've got a bad infection don't see it as a failure. It's not a failure. You just have to adjust to a new plan. So move, move your goalposts. And then the second thing is, you know, find that find that challenge that motivates you, that really inspires you, that scares you a little bit. If you're not if you're not scared by it, then um, it's not going to challenge you into into training the amount that, that you need to. And the second thing I would say is break down your training plan into bite sized chunks. You know. If you stand back and you say, I'm going to go summit Everest, and you think about the enormity of it, it would terrify you. 
Um, but when you break it down, when you think about summiting Everest, and you break it down into each day and each day having a plan, and each day individually seems massively achievable. There doesn't seem anything. When you look at actually the program of 90 days um, bet between now and summiting Everest, nothing in that program seems unachievable. But the goal and the end of it is incredible. Uh, and that's that's the challenge when you're trying to shoot for something really incredible is breaking it down, having a plan to make sure that every little thing along the way is is manageable. Excellent. We've just got about a minute left, but I want to just um, briefly ask you how people get involved with Digme. I've been looking at some of the reviews on Digme and people mm. are saying amazing things about the this experience and people are loving it and being part of what part of the exercise groups that you're doing and the music and the, it seems yeah. very innovative. How do people get involved with Digme? Well, we've got five studios at the moment. We've got one in central Oxford. We've got one in Richmond, which is my hometown. And then we've got two in the city in Blackfriars and Moorgate. And one just opened in Rathbone Square, just off Oxford Street. So come on down. Uh, it's, uh, you, you can drop in. You can buy the intro pack. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's very uh, reasonably priced. Um, and it, as I say, it's pay-as-you-go. So there's very little commitment. There's nothing stopping you coming and giving it, giving it a go. And we welcome anyone and everyone um, from all levels of, uh, of ability and all age ranges. I mean, we've got people from 14 years old up to 76 years old exercising with us every day. Fantastic. Final quick message to leave us with? I'd say nothing's impossible. You can, you can achieve great things. You're capable of a lot more than, than you think of. And your biggest barrier most of the time is your own mentality and attitude. So make sure if you need to make changes to your, to your lifestyle to make yourself more healthy, just try and find the way to unblock those, those bottlenecks. Find ways to, to, um, to make the time because you're not going to regret it in the longer term. When you're a grandfather or a grandmother and in 30, 40 years' time, you're going to really appreciate that you took those 22 minutes a day to, to, to make your life a little bit better, a little bit more healthy. Fantastic. Wonderful messages there. Really important messages for people as well. Uh, and, be, you know, if you have to be, be a little bit selfish. Look after yourself. Put yourself first if you need to. And, and if you're running a business, try and build this into your organization because you'll really reap the benefits. Everybody will. Um, thank you, Jeff. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. And if you want to find out more about Digme Fitness, go to digmefitness.com. That's D-I-G-M-E fitness.com. Um, Jeff, thank you very much. Thank you, Chris. It's been a pleasure to be on the show. Fantastic. And next week we have Gene Early. Gene is somebody I'm, I'm very fond of. He's one of the founders of NLP, Neurolinguistic Programming. He's a partner of Leaders Quest. We're going to talk about best self-leadership. And whenever I, I talk to Gene, we have a really deep and valuable uh, uh, conversation. He's a really revered within this whole um, Leaders Quest global community. Um, so do join us to um, find out about best self-leadership and some really kind of critical um, points that I think will help you if you're uh, if you're wanting to take your leadership uh, to the, le the the next level, be that self leadership or leading businesses and people. So once again, huge thank you to uh, to Jeff Bamba and to Digme Fitness and also to Sponge Marketing for very kindly introducing us to Jeff. Thank you. We thank you for listening to the Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.